want to title this final message of our called series where we've been exploring the idea of calling and vocation. Uh, I want to title this morning's message, If Tomorrow Comes. If Tomorrow Comes. And let's pause and quiet ourselves and just breathe, maybe for the first time all week. (sighs) Present ourselves to the Father. And as we often do, let's approach him with a moment of stillness and quietness and centeredness, remembering that he is in us and we are in him. And this thing is not about us. We are citizens of a kingdom that we are inheriting. So here we are. We ask you to speak in the silence and in the stillness, Lord, for your servant is listening. Father, often in the stillness, we're reminded of just what great lengths you have gone to make us your own. Often just sitting here and thinking on you, we're reminded of our salvation anew. We're reminded of the joy that's on the table for us. We're reminded of the hope that you've beckoned us into. Lord, we're reminded of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and this Trinitarian communion that we have been lassoed and caught up into in this life of faith. And I pray this morning that if there's any rogue areas that are existing outside of those things, and that by either nature of drift or by nature of distraction and preoccupation have Uh, drifted out of the proverbial four walls of the kingdom, would you bring us back this morning? Would you order our souls in peace and tranquility? Would you order our lives in faith? Would you order our lives and anchor them in love and the joy of our salvation? Make it so, we ask. And we thank you for the breath that's in our lungs, for the sun that's in the sky, for the food that's in front of us, our daily bread, for the fellowship that we are partaking of right now. And we ask that as we continue and as we sit under your scriptures and as we study them together, we pray that you would give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, that you would give us sensitive and receptive spirits to receive all that you would speak to us. And we ask that as we handle your scriptures, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and so acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we pray all these things in the name of the glorious God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the young adult said, Amen. Um, Leave it to Jesus to um, challenge our assumptions on life. Uh, Have you ever read a teaching of Jesus that just, ooh, struck you to the heart? Ooh, that's that's not comfy. 
I like, uh, I like looking at Jesus in the scriptures. I like seeing how he interacted with saint and sinner alike. But, um, you know, that's the comfy stuff. And then we get to the teachings of Jesus, where he starts talking about the kingdom, and he starts prescribing the ways in which we ought to live. Yeah, if you're struggling with sin, go ahead and cut that hand off. Uh, yeah, you better just carry your cross, pick it up, get, get ready to die, uh, actually accept imminent death, uh, either physically or in soul and in sacrifice, uh, and, and take it up and follow me. Yikes! The edgy teachings of Jesus, the teachings that strike us off into the core and provoke us to step in to kingdom living. Uh, I know one particular teaching of Jesus that does so, I think, with us is found in Luke chapter 12. And this is going to be the scripture that we camp out on this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 12, Jesus is uh, approached by a particular man about a particular situation that we will see here in just a second. And he offers this teaching that just hits us to the core and like he always does, just shatters and disorients Uh, and dislodges our uh, assumptions about what life is and what life ought to be. And in the way that is so prototypical Jesus, he flips the script and absolutely turns the kingdom upside down and begins spotlighting, wait a minute, maybe there is in fact a different way of thinking and a different way of living. And in studying this scripture specifically, I think it holds a lot of implications for our lives uh, themselves, but specifically uh, within the line of vocation that we've been studying the last eight weeks. I think it it really speaks a lot to how we are to approach vocation uh, and the pursuit thereof in our lives. So let's just go there. Let's, Let's camp out here. Luke chapter 12. 13 to 20, get ready to feel good. Because uh, Jesus says, uh, well, the, the scripture says, that is Luke says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus turns to the guy and says, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. As Jesus so often does, he takes a specific situation, a real concrete situation that's unraveling before him and, uh, and launches into this parable. Uh, he says, be careful and draws this greater principle. Be careful against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced uh, plentifully And he thought to himself, hmm, what am I going to do? I've got the 401k, I've got the barns, I've got all this stuff, but uh, but what am I going to do? What shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? There's a need in my life. And he said, oh, I'm going to do this. I got the finances and the resources. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Uh, you, got, uh, you got seven figures sitting in the 401k. You, you got the house paid off. You got a lot stored up for you. Relax, eat, drink, kick back, and be merry. But check this out. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Other translations say uh, will be demanded of you. 
And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus here is clearly teaching on the principle of riches and that we're not to spend our lives seeking out uh, monetary resources at the expense of laying up riches towards God. And the specific uh, real concrete context of this man coming up and asking Jesus to essentially arbitrate this disagreement that he's having with his brother regarding an inheritance, Jesus just sidesteps that and draws this greater principle about riches. But what's interesting about this passage is that though this teaching takes place within the context of riches, uh, Jesus spotlights an, an inlying and deeper assumption of the rich man that is confronted by God in this parable. Um, and he confronts the assumption of this man that tomorrow is a concrete bulletproof certainty. Uh, this man was so um, convinced that tomorrow would come This man was so convinced that life was in his hands, that there was a certain way in which life just happened, and there was some uh, a good amount of control that he had over his life and his time and his resources. And it's within this uh, deep, embedded assumption that God comes to him in the night and says, yeah, actually rethink that because tonight your life will be demanded of you. Uh, And then Jesus uses this to teach on riches, but I think this is a common belief at times, a common temptation we can fall into, this deep inlying assumption of the certainty of life that can spring forth and lend itself to a number of different toxic ways of living, be it hoarding monetary riches, uh, be it seeking uh, the, you know, the, the, the area of work and employment and vocation that's 20 years down the road. To, uh, today, yeah, whatever, okay, I'll just kind of wing it and do my own thing. But tomorrow, that's the big one. Uh, be it a relationship, be it a number of different things. We can uh, frame our lives around the certainty of life. And yet it's within this context and this inlying assumption uh, where Jesus calls the man a fool. You fool. You've missed it. You've so trusted on the certainty of tomorrow and hoarded your riches accordingly. What if your life's demanded of you tonight? Uh, Will that flip the narrative? Will that change things? And so, though in a unique context, and though in a uh, relatively different context, Jesus is touching on a staggering reality, and that is, contrary to our ingrained assumptions and charismatic instincts, we are not promised tomorrow. I think often, especially in the charismatic circle, uh, we can put our eggs fully in the basket of uh, we're blessed and highly favored. Uh, the Lord, as the psalmist says, will bless us with, with long life and with good health and all that. And though that is uh, a, a pillar of the covenant, um, reality sometimes shows that that ought to be taken as, um, yes, general, but not a concrete bulletproof general principle. Because uh, the reality shows that sometimes things run to the contrary. I think when we look over the course of church history, In the first century, we see the apostles that did not live long lives. We see the apostles actually die relatively young through the deaths of martyrdom. 
you know, throughout the centuries after that, we've seen countless saints who die from either martyrdom or die uh, uh, uncontrollable accidents or just die in their sleep uh, or, or through persecution. There's a number of ways, even in our lives today. Uh, I'm sure there's a, a myriad of situations and stories of either loved ones or people in close proximity to us who were saints, young adults, people who loved God, people who uh, sought him, people whose lives were grounded in scripture, people who were walking faithfully just all of a sudden, overnight, or uh, in a matter of a sudden circumstance, gone. And in those moments, we're reminded of the words of the psalmist that he repeats time and time again, we are a vapor, and then we're gone. Be it at 40 years old, be it at 25 years old, be it at 80 years old, life is this mist that is here today and gone tomorrow. And so I think uh, also what's not to say that Christ doesn't return today or tomorrow, uh, it doesn't have to be a morbid death and this maybe dark turn that sometimes we can, we can think on, but Christ could return tomorrow and all of a sudden uh, history could be culminated and crescendoed and fulfilled. And all of a sudden the pursuits of our lives today could be caught up in glory and uh, be left on the table even if our pursuits maybe at times are impure. But Jesus uh, talks about this. And in fact, we, uh, even beyond scripture, we just know that it's an axiomatic truth that we are not promised tomorrow. Uh, that uh, some things may just, it, it happens. And we can't, we, we, it's the concept of suffering at times and it's a slippery concept and we can try and get our heads around it and our heart around it as much as we can. But it's just axiomatic that uh, life is not promised tomorrow. Um, furthermore, Jesus again illustrates this. Tonight, 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 you're having these plans, you're laying up these riches, you're doing the things that you know to do, but it's on a misplaced assumption. Tonight, your life will be demanded from you. So let's talk about this uh, at our tables. I want to wrestle this out uh, as we begin with this question. How has the misplaced certainty of tomorrow influenced the way that you live? Or even maybe uh, if you disagree with the notion that tomorrow is not promised to us, talk about that. Talk about some friction, talk about some rub, talk about um, how this translates to you, the misplaced certainty of tomorrow. Go for it, and then we'll pick this up in about 10 minutes. Go. Young adults, you can go ahead and bring those conversations to a close. All right. So where does this go against the grain of our lives? Um, well, I think, I think we so often can live and find ourselves in this disoriented state because we often build our lives around the certainty of tomorrow. I think that so often we can, whether for theological reasons or others, uh, maybe just unsaid philosophical underpinnings of how we understand life to be and what it ought to be. Um, I think we can build our lives and our plans uh, around this bulletproof certainty of tomorrow. And even in the process, um, it, it, we kind of begin to view ourselves as bulletproof superheroes in a way, don't we? 
Uh, where we're 23, 24, 25, the prime of life, we're going for it, we're getting it, we're crushing it on all cylinders. And we can, because we lean on the certainty of tomorrow, we can kind of view ourselves as, well, yeah, like, of course, nothing's going to happen to me. Like, I'm going to be good. And by the way, this is going somewhere. I'm not being morbid for morbid's sake, okay? So pressure release valve. But I think for whatever reason, we've, we've made old age, dying at 80 or 90 in our sleep, the gold standard of the end of our lives. And we just don't necessarily see it in scripture. And, and you know, with, with this in mind, I think this, we were talking at our tables, this is why counter narratives such as Job are beautiful in that they equalize us. Uh, where we can overemphasize the promises and the covenantal blessings that are very much there and on the table for us. Narratives like Job that are equally canonized, inspired scripture have a way of uh, balancing the scales and saying, yes, long life and blessing and health are on the table for us, but what if they're not? There is an anchor for us, even amidst trial in our lives, even amidst uh, quick Death, even amidst uh, the unexpected, there is something, there is a durability for us on the table uh, that is the Lord's covenant with us. Um, and so I think, I think we so often build our lives around this, this certainty of tomorrow. And I would argue this is why we get so inspired at like graduation speeches, where, you know, be it high school or college, the, the Green Day song is just played, you know. And the person gets up on stage, the valedictorian gets up on stage and says, live every day like it was your last. And everybody, oh, I like that. Yeah, that's good, man. I'm going to do that. And so then you end up like playing Xbox for eight hours a day and sitting on your butt and never getting a job. But that's okay. That's neither here nor there. We get inspired, I think, by these messages of live every day like it was your last. Because it's, so, it's such a foreign concept for today to be your last. Uh, it goes against the grain of what we believe life to be. And thus these inspirational messages, they're, they're like a foreign voice out of the wilderness. Because we view life as this bulletproof certainty, this rigid, oh, it's, it's definite, yeah. Uh, just as the sun rose tomorrow, it'll rise, or yesterday, it'll rise tomorrow. And, and just as I woke up yesterday, I'll wake up tomorrow. And it's these underpinnings, this, these, at times, maybe even if we're not careful, arrogant assumptions where Jesus comes and he says, you're misplacing things here. And even uh, the book of James, it's this kind of presum- uh, presumptuousness that, G- that James really hones in. In James 4, 13 to 15, we looked at this passage a few weeks ago, but he says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade. And uh, we're going to make some profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist, James, hearkening back to the very familiar description of life that the psalmist uses time and time again. He says, you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Keep this verse up for a second. James, why do you got to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do that and that? 
Why can't you just attack our notions about how we're spending our lives? Why do you have to go for the throat and give us a shot to the engine room on the very life itself? But James says, we ought to be saying, if the Lord wills, we will live in the first place, and then we will do such and such. And it's the presumptuousness that James attacks. Again, like we looked at a few weeks ago, that this, this arrogance, this uh, ingrained belief that life is our own and life is a controllable entity that we can morph uh, and develop in the way that we choose. But the fact of the reality is, if the Lord wills, in his sovereign love and grace, in his thoughts that are higher than our thoughts, in his ways that are higher than our ways, in his infallibility, he will allow us to live and do such and such. But even if he doesn't, we have a hope in the life of the world to come. And it's within this tension that the New Testament always revolves around and orbits around this reality that the now and not yet, there is a life of the world to come that anchors us uh, amidst the pressures and the trials of today. Okay, so what's this have to do with vocation? Uh, well, I think our vocation, specific uh, to our lives, I think so often it can orbit around this uh, gravity of one day, one day this, one day this. If somebody asks you, hey, what do you feel like you're called to do? How many of us just out of instinct would say, well, I think I'm called to the And usually you're talking like 20 years down the road. Uh, I think I'm called to do something that I'm not doing now. Uh, I think I'm called to have a job that maybe I don't feel like I have right now. Uh, man, one day I'm going to graduate magna cum laude and have that on my degree, and I'll feel a sense of accomplishment, finally. Uh, one day I'm going to get married and shirk off this singleness once and for all. Praise be to God. And only then, one day, will I be satisfied. One day... I'll land that job that's actually in my freaking degree path. And then I'll be fulfilled. And I'll feel satisfied in life. One day, one day, one day. Are these not grounded in this assumption on the certainty of life? And is this not overlooking what's in front of us uh, so that one day we can be in the will of God? And it's just, it's out of bounds. And so, so often this, we can get caught up in this orbit one day, one day. Now, yeah, but one day, one day. Um, but what would it mean for us if we were to take the, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ seriously? That you fool, this very night your life could be demanded of you. And yes, it's, it's, uh, it's parabolic and yes, it's proverbial, but still the reality stands this very night could define our lives as a mist, shorter than what we expected. You see, I think if we were to take the words of our Lord seriously, we would begin to understand that kingdom vocation is not one day, but it's here and now. Uh, at every turn, this is the place where we're called to faithfulness and attentiveness to what's in front of us. And this is where vocation and the greater issue of the calling of God gets its teeth to me. Because so often, and we've touched on this throughout this whole series, it's arrivalism. 
It's one day I'll get that and then dot, dot, dot. One day life will look like this and then dot, 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 arrival, arrival, arrival. But those, as is anything in our lives, are false summits. Those are finish lines that actually we get across and we're satisfied for maybe a little bit. And then we're looking around and we realize... Yeah, wait a minute, maybe there's actually a greener pasture. Maybe I just missed it. Uh, Actually, one day I'm going to get that, and I'm going to get that, and I'm going to get that. But vocation is not one day. Vocation is now. Vocation is unraveling before us in today and in uh, the concreteness of the present moment. And therefore, in that, the Lord invites us and beckons us and challenges us challenges us to live in such a way to where we live faithfully and attentive, eyes wide open to what's in front of us. The the co-workers that are in our midst, how are we loving them, loving them well? The people who we're sitting in class with at college, loving them well and extending grace and forgiveness towards them. Uh, the, The job that we're working now, working at it with all of our hearts, not viewing vocation as one day I'll be in God's will, but actually right now in this time and space, in this context, all work is sacred work. All work is kingdom work. Again, like we looked at last week, as long the, the historical attestation of the church and conviction has been, as long as it's within the moral bounds, uh, all work is sacred work. All work is kingdom work. Uh, pumping, uh, you know, not pumping gas for people. I was going to use that example. Who does that anymore? Wow. Working at a gas station, working at Starbucks, uh, working at a a desk job, uh, even engaging in school, what we do, all of it right now can be kingdom work. And so vocation is on the table for us today. It's here and it's now. It's concrete reality. It's that which we are invited and challenged to live faithfully and attentively. And it's no wonder with this in mind that the greater narrative of the New Testament revolves around the invitation to not worry. Matthew 6, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own, okay? Uh, It's a reason why Jesus himself prescribed to us the Lord's Prayer and said, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Not, Not give us 10 years worth of bread. But give us today our daily bread. It's why Yahweh revealed himself to his covenant people in the wilderness as the God who gives daily manna and quail. I'm not going to give you a week's worth, lest you mistrust me, and lest you think that life is, in fact, within your control. Hint, hint, James, again, harkens back to that. But I'm going to give you today's bread. Today, today, today. All throughout scriptures, there is this emphasis of today. Living kingdom today, living faithful today, living attentive with eyes wide open to what God's doing in our story and in our world today. And here is where we, if we align our lives with it, uh, where we really begin to orient into the kingdom reality of vocation. That vocation is not one day, dot, dot, dot. Uh, If this happens, then I'll really be in God's will. If I land that, then I'm really going to be able to work for the kingdom. No. It's today. It's what's in front of you. It's who's in front of you. It's what's before you. All work can be sacred. And the kingdom vocation is in the present moment. Faithfulness and attentiveness is the invitation. Let's talk about this at our tables with this question. How have concerns about tomorrow compromised your ability to be faithful and attentive to the present? Get raw, get real, open up. 
those can of worms, and I will pick this up in about five minutes. All right. Much love. All right. A um, couple things before we jump into, uh, you know, the closure here. Um, we, uh, when we talk about presence, being attentive to the present, I think this can be a bit of an abused phrase because we're not talking about this cute concept of, oh, we'll just live with the beauty of the sacred present moment. Okay, yes, every moment is sacred and every moment is beautiful some less than others, but there's a much more uh, theologically grounded, deeper, more profound reason for it, and it's that the Lord himself in his sovereignty and grace and activity in our lives has placed people and work and ministry in front of us. It's not that the sacred moment in this ethereal way just has beauty in and of itself, but it's that God himself in his sovereign love and care, and in his work in our lives and in the world, has placed these things before us. So as we respond with faithfulness, and as we respond to attentiveness, it's actually fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation that we're all called into. And so it's not this cutesy, every moment is sacred, for the sake of every moment being sacred, but it's every moment is sacred and every opportunity is sacred because uh, the days are evil and we're called to redeem the time in engaging in this ministry of reconciliation, as Paul would argue. Another thing is, um, you know, for, for all you type A's, the concrete, like, but we have, okay, but what, what do we do with this? And what about planning? And what about da, 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 da? That's great. I'm glad you asked. Let me answer that. <laughs> it's planning and it's presence, right? Because we, uh, Nate, brought up the great point at our table, like the, the Bible is very much uh, equally filled with teachings about planning. Jesus himself, we looked at that. How many of you start building something before you count the cost? Like it's assumed, uh, it's, it's an implied action, planning, uh, in responsible kingdom living, and yet it's planning in such a way that doesn't allow the disposition of our hearts to lean towards pride and independence and self-sufficiency and the presumptuousness of tomorrow, that we are in control of our own destiny. And that's what James touches on in James chapter 4. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of you know, complexities here, but if we sort them out in the greater narrative of Scripture— uh, and what the Bible says as a whole, I think uh, we can come to a pretty definitive conclusion that it is both and. It is uh, planning and its presence. And the Lord is, in fact, at work in our present moment. And the invitation's on the table for us to step into ministry now. Okay, so the, the final question I think that we ask ourselves in response to all this is, uh, what's in front of you now that God's calling you to be faithful and attentive to? Who's in front of you now? What work is in front of you now? What opportunities are in front of you now? Not for our own advancement, but for kingdom. Uh, What conversations could be had? What work ethic uh, could be worked towards? What things are on the table for us now, today, to step into so that uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit may be glorified? Um, Because again, kingdom vocation is not one day or if and then, but it's today. It's now. It's what's before us. The invitation to say yes to God's activity in our lives and in this world. And as we conclude, 
this morning. I think one of the most beautiful incarnations of what we're talking about this morning uh, surfaces in this uh, 19th century prayer by a 19th century Scottish judge named Lord Kinloch. And Lord Kinloch, he wrote a number of different uh, works uh, within the Christian tradition, but he has this one little itty-bitty book that's called uh, The Thoughts of Christ for Every Day of the Year. I don't even know if they're still printed. Uh, it was printed in the 19th century, but um, Lord Kinloch offers up this prayer in this devotion uh, in one of these pages, Thoughts of Christ for Every Day of the Year, and it just, it just smacks you in the face with truth and smacks you in the face with challenge and really reorients you and us into uh, what we're talking about this morning. And so we're going to put this up. I want to read it to you. And then we're going to do something together to respond to this. Uh, here, here's the words of Lord Kimlock, this liturgical prayer that he set out in the 19th century. O gracious Lord Christ, who taught me that to be rich toward God forms the only sure resource of the soul. My gosh. Preserve me, I plead, from the folly of reckoning on the certainty of life, even for tonight. And give me a heart which is fixed on those treasures that are above, a heart that is where its treasures are, to your glory now and forevermore. How beautiful is that? Keep that up on the screen. I want, I want to interact with this for a second. Read this for a second time, third time. Mull over this a little bit. What things are convicting about this prayer to you personally and specifically? Uh, what components are encouraging? What components are challenging? What components and portions are provoking you into deeper kingdom living? What parts stick out? Where is there a hum in this prayer? So look at that. Think about that. And then I want us to pray this prayer together as we conclude. Uh, we're going to stand in just a second, but we're going to pray this together and take this prayer on our lips. And let me say that this prayer, once I stumbled upon this, um, I have implemented this prayer into my daily and, and sometimes even nightly routine. And just before I go to bed and before the day concludes and when the sun has set and when I'm laying in bed and I'm about to fall asleep, um, I take these words on my lips, and it has been this enormously orienting prayer where I realize, wow, my life is caught up in the sustenantial care of the Father. And I, uh, maybe more than anyone, can fall prey to this folly of reckoning on the certainty of life, and there's repentance in confession that. There's repentance in recognizing and bringing it to the Lord. Lord, I have reckoned on the certainty of life. I've become arrogant. I've presupposed the reality of tomorrow, yet reorient and align my heart to the reality that there is no certainty of life and that there are treasures on the table for me to partake of. So with that, let's stand. And as we conclude, let's pray this prayer together. This prayer that orients and equalizes our lives. So let's pray this. If you want to extend your hands, you can do that however you want. But let's just make this a prayer from the heart, a prayer of faith, a prayer of childlike trust. O gracious Lord Christ, 
who taught me that to be rich toward God forms the only sure resource of the soul. Preserve me, I plead, from the folly of reckoning on the certainty of life, even for tonight. And give me a heart which is fixed on those treasures that are above, a heart that it's where its treasures are, to your glory, now and forevermore. And we ask, would you make it so, O God? Would you make it so in our lives? Would you make us a people who walk in childlike dependence and trust with eyes open in faithfulness and attentiveness to what you have for us today and what's on the table for us to engage in today? And would you preserve us from the folly of reckoning on the certainty of life even for tonight? And would you help our lives to be aligned in your kingdom purposes and your kingdom life for us? And we trust that regardless of what tomorrow holds, we are anchored in the promise and the hope of the life of the world to come. The steadfast and immovable anchor of our soul. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would make it so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, amen.